Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Nick Polak is still in a state of shock from over the weekend, so we had to replace him with one, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Good evening, Bill. How are you tonight? I'm peachy. And also, we decided to get a third member of the ROR staff on this one so we can have, you know, some more input, some more insight, all that. We got our own John Morgan. John, what's going on, buddy? Not much. How are you? You know what? I've I've been happier. Let's uh let's put it that way. This has been a it's been a very weird uh couple of days because on Saturday Penn State and Michigan State played a bizarre football game. Uh, and it's 27-24. It took 7 hours because there was just a 3 and a half hour rain delay in the middle of everything. Well, lightning delay, I won't say rain delay. Uh Penn State certainly had its issues. Uh, the Nittany Lions, Trace McSorley threw 381 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Saquon Barkley, 14 carries for 63 yards. The Nittany Lion defense got gashed by Brian Lewerke in the Spartan passing game. He went 33 for 56, 400 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Felton Davis for the Spartans, had a monster game through the air, 12 receptions, 181 yards, and a touchdown. Looking through the stats, I mean, total yards are pretty much even. Turnovers seemed like they were the big team thing. Penalties were pretty even. Neither team was able to rush the ball very well. Not, both teams threw the ball pretty well. Uh, yeah, it was just a really unfortunate game. Uh, because, uh, since we're not going to talk about the Big Ten, we'll get this up in front. Iowa thought it would be fun to, uh, grab Ohio State by the nostrils and just drag them around for three hours or something. Uh, and for a brief moment, it opened, last week, uh, a lot of people, the reason I think they were frustrated, even though a lot of people had picked before the season Penn State losing to Ohio State and not getting that chance to defend their Big Ten championship and not getting the chance to compete in the playoff was that Iowa beating Ohio State opened that door and made that a little bit more possible. And then, unfortunately, uh, Michigan State was able to come out on top. We'll touch on that a little bit uh, later in the podcast. But for now, uh, Matt, let's start with, uh, you know, the question we start every podcast with, which is what did we learn from Penn State's loss to Michigan State? Um, well, I learned two things. One is getting evacuated from a stadium during a lightning delay takes a long time. Oh, yeah. Time. You, were you there for this? I, I, I was there for, uh, pre-lightning delay. Okay. Um, we we made a bolt for the car when uh, when they evacuated the stadium, which, which as you can imagine, getting 60,000 people out of a stadium with uh, any sort of efficiency is not, doesn't happen. Yeah, um, I, I had some people who were there explain it to me and they said there were like 12 cops trying to evacuate the entire stadium and like god bless them they were able to do it but yeah well, like, it, i mean it wasn't that extreme but it's if you think of beaver stadium with all the room and it's under the stands the way it's built spartan stadium has none of that so they really they're trying to get you out of the stadium entirely and they've got um mun ice arena their hockey arena is right there um they have like a like an IM building kind of setup that's right there too that they evacuate people into, and then um, like an academic building that has a ton of space that they will evacuate people into. They're all kind of right there, right around the stadium. But uh, even before we knew how long the delay was going to be, we made the decision to uh, to make the about hour and fifteen minute drive back home and dry out and uh, watch the rest of the game there. So, so I learned I learned one thing about stadium efficiency or lack thereof. But as far as 
what we learned about Penn State, I think it's um, something we've probably known for most of the year, but maybe have not wanted to acknowledge that this team still has, I don't want to say significant flaws, but significant enough flaws that they um, just aren't, aren't quite good enough yet to compete um, you know, week in, week out overcome mistakes like they had on Saturday, the three interceptions, a lot of drop balls, missed tackles, poor angles, just a lot of small mistakes that added up. And um, I think the fact that it was, the game was as close as it was for as long as it was is a testament to the talent that Penn State does have. But you can't just shoot yourself in the foot over and over again like they did and expect to come out uh, with a victory against a pretty good team on the road in their stadium um, with all the the adversity, with the, the long delay. Um, and on top of it, something that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on here is um, the third straight big game. Um, it's easy to, you know, from the outside looking in to you know, say that you, know, you get through one game and you move on to the next. But um, I think we saw with, with Penn State and Ohio State, quite frankly, that last week's game took a lot out of both teams emotionally. Um, that was a big game for both teams. Um, it was, you know, instant classic or whatever you want to call it. And the, uh, um, I, you just can, the, the, real quick, I, you can make the argument that that game was, I mean, we kind of joked about it on the site a little bit, but we talked about that game, uh, being, you know, it was us being facetious, but there was an air of what appeared to be truth to it. That game was a big 10 uh, championship game playing game. That game was a college football playoff playing game, whatever you want to call it. Like calling it a big game almost sells in short how important it seemed like that game was uh, when really the big game is happening uh, next week in Columbus or East Lansing? It is uh, down in Columbus. Okay. Um, but it's, it, it, it's a noon game. It's kind of a cold gray. And before the game even started, we got pelted with. I don't know if it was snow or grapple or sleet or some sort of ice-like substance fell from the sky for about five, 10 minutes before the game even started. Um, the stadium wasn't full um, even before the, the, the weather delay. It was just one of those games that, and I, and I had talked about it with you, Bill, you know, over the summer that this was a game that just didn't, I don't want to say trap game because that's kind of cliche and, and whatever, but it was one of those games where you knew Michigan State was going to be better than they were last year. I don't think we expected them to be sitting at 7-2 and two and um, with just one loss in the Big Ten at this point. But it's in their stadium. It's the third straight game of a, of a tough three-game stretch, back-to-back games on the road. And then when you actually get into the week and you come off a game like Penn State played last week that clearly they, were, um, they, they put everything into and came up short, um, it took a lot out of them and it's easy. Like we said, as a fan to move on to the next game and be able to, to put that in the rearview mirror, but not just physically, but, but emotionally, that's hard to get up for th- three straight weeks, um, emo- mentally and physically for, for three good teams and two of them on the road. I think, um, we have to go back and look, but it feels like a long time since Penn state's had a stretch like that, where they've faced not just the, qu- the, the quality of opponent, but, the, the travel involved, the um, hostile environments. You're going to Ohio Stadium, which is probably the second toughest place to play in the Big Ten behind Penn State. And then you're going to Michigan State, which is 
always presented issues for for Penn State among others, um, compounded by the weather and the time and the long delay and everything else that we've talked about in the 48 hours since then. Um, it was it was a tough task, and the, when you don't make the plays that um, were there to be made, you're just making the task that much tougher. For sure, and like it's, I, I can't even get to imagine how hard it must be. It's for you know, as a football player to go, you know, we didn't play our best game against Ohio State. I, I'm looking at uh, the adjusted scoring margin uh, through S and P Plus. The adjusted scoring margin in that game was Ohio State should have won by like 17 points. So you know, you go in there, you know, you didn't play your best game, and it's discouraging to know you didn't play anywhere near as well as you should have and a couple of little mistakes and you lose by one point in a game that more or less appeared like it was going to decide your season. And then you have to get up for another game against a team like Michigan state, which again, Michigan state is not, it it, it did not appear to be the team we expect that we expected everyone uh, thought it was going to be where it was going to be another down year, but it's still a really, really good football team, and you know they're going to punch you in the mouth, and they know you're, you know they're going to be physical, and you know you have to be on your game because Michigan State is going to try and make it really tough for you, and that seemed like it just kind of caught up with them. Uh, John, I'm interested to hear uh, your thoughts. Like, what did you learn from watching this game? Well, I think the biggest thing is the flaws that Penn State has that we might have been able to see being covered up against lesser opponents kind of come to light the last few weeks. I mean, Northwestern did a real good job of stopping the run, except for really one play. And just running the ball was has been a struggle, but then you throw into the Michigan game, which then you think, okay, they might have figured this out. But for the whole season, we really haven't run effectively. And, you know, it's the teams are keying on Barkley. And you start to wonder, is McSorley as big of a threat to run as he needs to be? Because, you know, he's a great runner. He's a great scrambler. But with everybody keying on Barkley and then the line not, you know, protecting or, you know, run blocking or anything, blocking in general then, you know, McSorley, he's a fine runner. When he has a hole, he, he gets the yards, but he's just not the quick. It, it, the effectiveness of this offense is, is limited by the offensive line, and not McSorley, but mostly the line. And that's a flaw that I didn't realize was as severe until, I mean, granted, when Bates went down against Ohio State, that was a big blow. But even in general, the writing had kind of been on the wall. And it was like, maybe they can overcome them like they did last year. But I, I think we can kind of look now, and I think that's the one real frustrating part of the season is the progression of this line isn't where we maybe thought it would be, where you think, okay, we're finally getting our depth back, where a lot of things are starting to fall into place. But again, you're still, you have a young line, and it, it shows. I, the, the thing for me, and... Listen, I am a guy who I sit on my couch, I watch the games, I, re- I read uh, coverage of the team, I follow the team, uh, I look at numbers, all that stuff was these past two games have made it kind of look like this Penn State team, 
they've just it seems like they've struggled with having the target on their back just in these last two games like both of these games required a certain amount of toughness and a certain amount of just having that will to win especially you know against Michigan State as I just mentioned you know you're going to be in a fight with them for four quarters 60 minutes uh you know, seven hours, whatever it was this week, you know Michigan State is going to try and make this game tough, hard-nosed, physical, and it takes that little bit extra to win the game. And Penn State, what I don't know who, uh, I don't know how anyone comes up with this because you know I'm again I'm not a football player. I'm a person who watches the team. It just seemed like they weren't taking the chances that were there and they were creating situations for themselves in whatever way that just kept them from winning this game. I mean, the the big thing I think everyone's going to point to, really two big things. One, uh, DeAndre Tompkins dropped pass on, uh, on Penn State's final drive that, you know, stalled the drive, made Penn State... Uh, give the ball back to Michigan State, then they march down the field and score. I that well, like you just feel terrible for him. That's the kind of play that you kind of expect him to make. And he had a great game otherwise, but he's going to be known for that one thing. And then there was uh, at the end of the game, third and four for Michigan State. Marcus Allen comes blitzing from ten yards behind where the line of scrimmage is and. Which, I mean, when you know they're going to be running a slant on third and four, because that's the one thing that they've ran consistently all day on short yardage plays, those little quick routes to get the ball out of Lewerke's hands, and you're bringing the house, and you're putting him in a position where he has to come from that far to hit the guy, and he also isn't able to slow up in time and hits Lewerke and gives Michigan State the yards they need to kick the ball. I mean, it's just these little mistakes that you don't expect a team that was so apt, especially towards the end of last year, at just gutting out these tough wins to make. And it's unfortunate, and I don't know what it is. I, this might be something that uh, what I believe James Franklin mentioned it after the game, but there's just this different standard that comes from being a champion. And I don't know if it's the fact that the team, they had, they, I know they probably didn't have an issue getting up for it, but... They probably, I, I don't even know. It, it's just tough. It's frustrating. It's upsetting. Uh, you know that this is going to be the last year in Happy Valley for a bunch of really good seniors and then a bunch of really good football players, potentially like Trace Mc, uh, not Trace McSorley, like Saquon Barkley for Mike Gusecki for guys like that. And you want to see them be able to go out on top, but they're not going to get that. And hopefully they're able to win these last couple of games. But it was it's just brutal watching you know, a slow motion car crash or whatever you want to call Saturday's game. Uh, let's move on to kind of just a really simple question. We're going to go and look at this from the perspective of whether it was a Penn State thing or whether it was a Michigan State thing. And John, I'm going to start with you. Why did Penn State lose this football game? Well, I mean, I think it's just a number of mistakes. I know Matt had touched on this earlier today and in, in talking with them that we 
you know, you bring up those two plays, but the amount of drops, um, you know, there was Hamilton made the really tough catch in traffic. A play later has a slant pattern that looks like it might be able to go the distance, and he dropped it. Uh, Barkley had a drop. Jawan Johnson had a drop. It was just there were the two mistakes at the end that we're going to focus on, but there are so many little ones. I mean, the one that really stands out to me that really hasn't gotten it, uh, you know a whole lot of play was the second down play um, where McSorley had the intentional grounding late in the game that set up. That actually, that might have been first down to make it second and nineteen. And then they were, um, I guess it was second. Sorry, I'm stumbling back and forth here. But the intentional grounding made it, you know, third and 19. Next plays get sicky for 16. And then you're down to that final play. It was little things like that that just, you kept putting your, they kept putting themselves in a bad spot. And also, you know, not to focus on the offense the whole time, the defense gave up. I feel like a thousand third down conversions that equated to close to five miles. It just, every time it just felt like, Oh, always get them off the field, get them off the field. And they just kept converting. And it's really, I think it's a combination of the mistakes Penn state made. And, you know, you got to tip your cap to the other team. They made a lot of good plays. I mean, the touchdown to tie it after the break was a perfect play. And, I mean, Lewerke was way better than I, you know, I was aware of. I, you know, I've seen a few games of theirs not start to finish, but that I, that was unexpected to see how well he played. Yeah, I mean, they, when they go 10 for 18, listen, I mean, Penn State's defense certainly had its issues. And uh, Matt might touch on them. I'll touch on them in a second. Uh, but, you know, they're going 10 for 18. When they're converting – and this is kind of one of those things that made me, in retrospect, go, you know, it's not, it's not Penn State's day. There was one, I think it was a third and 16, where they throw it to Felton Davis, and he is, he's maybe 13 yards to the 16 he needs, and he's surrounded by three Penn State guys, and he just does one thing and breaks it upfield for another, like, 20 yards or something. One of those things that made it go, listen, it's just not Penn State's day. Michigan State's playing great. They're making all the plays, whatever. I mean, it was, it was meant, yeah, and like you said, John, you have to tip your caps then because they were, they, they were doing it. They were doing what they had to do. Uh, Matt, why do you think Penn State lost this game? Well, I think we've all kind of touched on it, but Michigan State made plays and Penn State didn't. Um, you know, we've touched on, you just mentioned it. The, the one play, you know, if it was like third and 16, third and 18, that's exactly the one that sticks in my mind. And in that same drive, they converted another third and long. And I saw the stat during the game. It was something like on the two third downs, which were both over 10 yards, if I, my memory's right, Michigan State gained like 65 yards on those two third down plays. And that just kind of is the game in a nutshell, I guess, where, um, you know, Penn State had guys in the position to make plays. It wasn't like, you know, busted coverage. It was, you know, three guys over pursuing, losing their contain, and all of a sudden Felton Davis takes one step to his left and there's 20 yards a daylight to run. Um, it seems like every time that they felt like they were about to get a hit on the work, he, he made up, he got rid of the ball and either made a great throw or had a receiver make a great play on the other end. Um, whereas for, for Penn State, it was every time, um, you know, there was any bit of pressure on McSorley, he, he 
know, mechanics got, you know, out of whack and he would sail it high or he would sail it short or there was the interception on the scramble in the first, on the first drive of the game. Um, just a lot of plays to be made there that weren't. And we talked a lot about this a couple of years ago, but you, uh, Bill and I did where in these one score games, it's so easy to focus on the Tompkins drop or the Marcus Allen roughing the passer or some of those plays late where, um, it's easy to to equate you know, a misplay leading to to a direct result, but in that one score game, there's so many chances um, to, to make the play. Um, I think back to right out after, out of the lightning delay, Michigan State had third and four, um, which I believe they threw incomplete, and then let me pull it. I got it right here. They uh, um, threw a short pass that um, they were stopped just short, and then on fourth and one, um, they stopped L.J. Scott short. So Penn State gets the ball back at their own 34 there, and with a chance to kind of seize a little bit of momentum out of the timeout or out of the delay, and what do they do? They go three and out. They Barkley runs for no gain, McSorley throws two incomplete passes, and then um, Gilligan gets off just a 35-yard punt in the, the adverse conditions. And what happens from there, five plays later, less than two and a half minutes, Michigan State's in the end zone to tie the, tie the game, and we're going to halftime um, at 14-14. Um, Penn State had that interception on the um, – it could have been pass interference on the um, uh, guy who grabbed – I think it was Tompkins that got grabbed, grabbed around the waist that threw him off balance. Oh, you but that pass the one was where still- he got grabbed and pushed to the ground and all that and nothing got called. This That this that was the one call I was very mad about with the officials. So I love But at, at, at the same time, McSorley's throwing that ball into – one guy, it, it was a, it was a probably a pretty well thrown ball, and Tompkins had a chance to make the play, but he's throwing the ball in the middle of three uh, green jerseys. That's you, I don't like my odds there, um, especially with Tompkins, who is not the guy I'm counting on to win that that fifty fifty ball that we've talked a lot about with this offense. Um, just a lot of misplays. They um, out out of halftime, they force a quick three and out for Michigan State, and their drive stalls. Um, and at the Michigan State 34, where they're kind of in no man's land there, fourth and 10, where they're too far to kick the field goal, 10 yards to go, the punt's probably the best play. And they, they down it inside the 10, and Michigan State goes 10 plays, 5 minutes, 91 yards to take the lead. Um, just chances there to, to win field position or just kind of to swing the, the momentum back to your side. This, those plays were not made all day. Um, it felt like on the long touchdown throw to Tompkins to take the lead that, that kind of did it. And then Michigan state goes 11 plays in four minutes to kick the field goal to tie the game. And in the next drive, Penn state throws the interception to Blacknall. That is, if it's put in front of him, it might be six points. So just, it's, it's, I just named how many different examples there were, what six, eight, ten of chances for Penn state to make a play that just didn't happen. And to Michigan State's credit, they did. Um, you can certainly blame Penn State's defense in a lot of cases. You can blame drop passes. You can blame poorly thrown balls. You can blame the offensive line for not making those plays. But um, Michigan State did make them, and they took advantage of the mistakes that Penn State made, and, and the Nittany Lions didn't. And you know, it's kind of a simple game when you boil it down to, to things like that. Yeah, I, the game that you are referencing, where you know you said. You know, you and I talked about a game like this in the past. It was the Northwestern game from 2015, yes, which yes. is a, a very good example of a game like this. Like everyone from the Northwestern game remembers Grant Haley's dropped interception. Like that's the one thing that you ask a Penn State fan, "Hey, why Penn State lose this game?" 
they're going to say Grant Haley's dropped interception because it's just easier to point to that than, you know, thing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever. And it was another game like this where it was a bunch of little mistakes that piled on top of each other and eventually uh, Michigan State was able to take advantage. But the two things for me, two reasons why I thought Penn State lost this game. Uh, One was because Mark D'Antonio is uh, able to control the weather in East Lansing. Which it's not fair, and and I, apparently Ann Arbor for all for that. Yeah, matter. yeah. Well, that they're was pr- they're pretty darn good in in really bad conditions. And apparently. that was something that was so. like in the back of my head, and I might have tweeted it at like halftime or something. But the thing that worried me was Penn State had not played a game this year where it had to worry about the field conditions are going to be really really bad, or the ball's going to be slipping out of hands, or. Uh, You're not going to be able to get your footing if you're a defensive back or anything like that. And not only had Michigan State played that kind of game, but they went to the big house and won that kind of game. And I think we we kind of saw that. I mean, there were a few times. Michigan State's receivers were basically running routes that involved going X amount of yards, planting your foot in the ground, and then changing direction. And... Just because you know that's all you need to do to get a defensive back off balance in that kind of uh, kind of an environment, and it worked. Like they just knew how to win that kind of a game. Uh, but the bigger thing for me was we saw Penn State's inexperience. I thought on both lines, uh, offensive line. You know, Ryan Bates, redshirt sophomore; Stephen Gonzalez, redshirt sophomore; Connor McGovern, true sophomore. And Will Fries. Oh wait, no, Ryan Bates didn't play. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong depth chart. So it's starting three, three younger dudes in Gonzalez, McGovern, and Fries with Chaz Wright, who he's been around for a long time, but he doesn't have too terribly much football experience, especially not at tackle. I mean, last year when we saw him having his most success, he was having it as a guard. So. He, you know, still not a, he's still a little bit, uh, I don't want to say green, he's green in a, you know, snaps gotten sense, not in time being in the program. And then Brendan Mayen, who has been around forever. So we saw Penn State's inexperience on that side of the ball. And even though, uh, you know, Mayen is a hot, is a four-star guy. McGovern is a four-star guy. Uh, Gonzalez is a, uh, three, four-star guy, Fries, I believe, was pretty similar. That talent still hasn't been developed yet, which makes sense because it's still young talent, and they'll be better in a year or two for the experience that they're getting this year, but there's still going to be some bumps in the road this year. And then the much bigger thing was on the other side of the ball where, you know, Penn State doesn't have Ryan Buckholz, so... Shaka Tony's in there as a 233-pound redshirt freshman trying to get to the quarterback. And they have uh, the Cawthorns, who they've been very, very good for Penn State, but they're still three-star guys. And guys who, uh, they're not going to be the kind of game changers along the defensive line that you would like. You have a guy like Kevin Givens being kicked out to end. You have guys like Shane Simmons and Yitor Grossmatos. Uh, playing a little more football than you would probably like them to be playing right now. And even though and Gross Matos, at the very least, I thought had a pretty nice game, again, these are the things where Penn State had one of two things. Either they had guys who had been around for a while who 
there's a bit of a ceiling on what we should expect out of them, even if they are good football players, or younger guys who are still being developed and still working, all that stuff. So when you can't get home on defense, that there's a symbiotic relationship between your ability to get to a quarterback with only four or only five guys and how good your secondary looks. If you're able to get home with four or five guys and you're dropping, you know, six or seven back into coverage, well, guess what? You're going to look a lot better than if you're having to bring six guys on a blitz and they're not able to get there, which is something that we saw a little bit over the weekend. And I think, and this is something that, you know, I wanted Nick to be on the podcast because this is something that he's kind of been, uh, kind of been yammering about. And rightly so, I think. Penn State needs a little bit more time to develop its young talent along both lines. And unfortunately, it didn't have the opportunity to develop that talent before it played Michigan State. Again, Shane Simmons, uh, Shaka Tony, Yitor Gross Matos, uh, then the other side of the ball, Connor McGovern, Stephen Gonzalez, Will Fries, they're going to be better football players next year, the year after, however long they're in Happy Valley, because they're getting invaluable reps right now. The issue is you can't delay that timetable to make it so you don't play Michigan State and Ohio State until then. And it's unfortunate because I think they're all going to be really, really good football players here, but they're kind of getting the taste in their mouth now of something that they probably never want to see happen again. Uh, moving on to our next thing, just because we've been a little bit negative on this edition of the podcast, which is really easy to be negative after a loss. Uh, so, Matt, let's, let's, let's be a little bit positive. Let's bring some of, the, uh, some of the good vibes back. Let's try and talk about some positives uh, that we might take away from this game. And, you know, how can they help Penn State going forward, whether it's against uh, Rutgers, Nebraska, Maryland, and, you know, UCF in the bowl game that hopefully Penn State plays against them, or in 2018 and 2019 and 2020? I I think you touched on one of them, Bill, where guys, and I especially focus on the defensive side of the ball, with with Torrance Brown and Ryan Buckholz out, you've got two redshirt freshmen and a true freshman essentially filling his snaps with Shane Simmons, Shaka Tony. And my favorite all freshman team name, Itor Gross Matos. Um, But but those are going to be valuable snaps for those guys down the road. I thought Simmons showed flashes. I thought Gross Matos had flashes. Uh, I think Tony struggled a little bit. I think um, the book's probably out on him a little bit as a a first year player. Um, He's certainly a situational pass rusher, and his size is certainly working against them now. And I think. Um, against against good players like we saw for Ohio State and like Michigan State has on the line, um, you know he's still you know a year or two away from being more effective in that role. Um, but again, it's, he's going to be better for it. Um, they got experience. I think the other thing, just and Coach Franklin refer, uh, referenced this quite a bit after the game too, that essentially that the team has not done a great job over the last you've really I think said seven months of of tuning out the noise. Um, Yep. Of, of last year, what was unique in that they they had no expectations, and what they had to deal with were 
was the was the surprise the, the Cinderella story the last month of the year where um you know all the attention on you know the resurgence of Penn State that the whole narrative we got you know really from the Ohio State game on last year this year from really the second the the Rose Bowl ended and then the national championship game the next week it's been Penn State's a playoff contender Penn State has a chance to win the Big 10 again Penn State's going to be a top 10 preseason team um and it's really hard for us as fans to tune that out. We're, we're responsible for a lot of it. And then you factor in, these are a bunch of 18, 19, up to 22-year-old kids that are plugged into Facebook and social and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and who knows whatever else is out there. Um, not to mention being on a college campus that is buzzing with the the seven and zero start to the season and the number two ranking going into the, the Michigan game and um, you know, all the, the high coming off the big 29 point win against Michigan. And um, it's hard to tune that out. And I can only imagine um, as a, as a, a player, as an, as a, in a lot of these cases, you know, first, second, third year players, this is their first experience with that kind of hype um, where, all of a sudden, they're a national title contender. They've got the Heisman Trophy favorite. They um, they're going into, into Columbus in, in the biggest regular season game of the year to that point. Um, and I don't, as from the outside looking in, I don't see a whole lot of signs that of you know because this happened, it was pretty obvious that that got to them. But when you hear a coach who is over the top positive and um, in a good way, very protective of his players, saying that it affected them. Um, I think that's something that you take notice of. And honestly, I think it's something that the coaching staff learns from too going forward. We've talked a lot about um, just, you know, in, you know, off the site and, and, you know, text messages and whatnot and everything else that um, this is a coaching staff that's learned a lot in their, in their fourth year now that that's something that I think for someone who's, as big a student as, as of his profession as James Franklin is, I think that's something that he's going to go to school on. What can what can he do better? What can his staff do better to better Absolutely. better have his his guys prepared for that? Because it's going to happen again. And I think we're going to get to it here in a little bit further down the road in, in the the podcast here. Um, but this is not the the end of the road for for Penn State. We're not going to be three or four years um, until we have another run like this. This is a program that's built to to make noise next year and the year after and the year after that um, and is going to be competing with the best teams is going to be getting that attention and is going to be playing in more big games. Um, they're going to be getting a lot of attention. And I think that's something that the whole program really can go to school on um, for what, when that next opportunity presents itself, whether it's, you know, in a bowl game this year or, you know, going into, um, you know, Ann Arbor next year when Ohio State returns to Beaver Stadium, whatever it is, I think that's something that in the long run is going to be very beneficial. Yeah, I real quick, uh, before I go over to John, I just want to read the quotes that Franklin gave, kind of pertaining to what you said, Matt, tuning out the noise and whatnot. Uh, when things are going well, there's a lot of noise, a lot of positivity, a lot of patting on the back, and when you lose a game, it's the complete opposite. It couldn't be more negative. Uh, I would describe us as a young program. We haven't been a part of these conversations for a long time. Turn off your phone. Turn off the internet. Don't buy newspapers. I apologize. Media. Turn off ESPN. Turn off the Big Ten Network on focus on things in our locker room. Uh, let's see. 
you get into the submarine and then shut everything out. I mean, that's not... Yes, James Franklin says the want to know this week, want to know this week, want to know this week thing, focus on this opponent. But that's still a bit... It's a bit extreme for him taking it to this extent, and I think it says a lot about how he uh, how he would kind of approach this game and approach this loss and what he wants to take away from this loss. I mean, he had a really gr- interesting quote that uh, it got a little bit of ridicule because it came off kind of like him saying, well, if only it was a three-hour and 21-minute rain delay. I have that planned, but... Uh, he basically said, I didn't have anything planned for, I didn't know how to approach a three hour and 23 minute rain delay. And he basically just meant I didn't have a long delay. I didn't know how to approach a delay that long. And it's something that he's going to work on making sure he knows going forward, which is encouraging. But uh, real quick, just, I want to give four players shout outs because I think they deserve it. One, I thought Troy Ackby, <laughs> he, he's turned into a really solid football player. And I'm going to eat some crow here because I did not see that coming. I thought he was kind of just the de facto guy they were going to put next to Marcus Allen. But he's ended up being a really solid, really steady presence. Yeah, he makes a couple of mistakes now and then. But he's he's exceeded whatever expectations I might have had. So he deserves a little bit of credit because I thought he played well uh, well in some situations against Michigan State. And then uh, Deshaun Hamilton, DeAndre Tompkins, Mike Gusecki. Uh, there were some drops that were... Uh, a bit unfortunate. I know Tompkins is the guy who's going to be getting a lot of flack for the drop that he had, and that's something that's going to stick with him for God knows how long. But otherwise, you know, four catches for 102 yards. He showed off the big play ability that I, I believe a Michigan State defensive back fell down, but he showed off the big play ability that I think we've all kind of been screaming from the mountaintops that we know real, he has. Real quick, Bill, I, this, this just jumped into my mind, but how terrified were all of us on that long pass to Tompkins that he wasn't going to get there. Oh yeah. About a second before he caught the ball, it looked like it was going to be just out of his reach. Yeah. And I love it. And I was actually watching this game. Uh, my parents were in town this weekend. And so I was watching the, 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 the once I got home watching it with my dad and the, how big his eyes got from that end zone camera when he realized that he was in a, that he better haul this in. Cause it was right there and he was going to, could could have walked in, but to j- just, popped my mind that um you know for all, no, all for the sure. grief he, he took for the the tough play on the fourth down um that was not an easy catch it was um you know perfectly thrown but it um you know for as wide open as he was it wasn't a uh a uh walk in the park by any means no for sure it was perfectly thrown because of his speed too i mean he yeah. you know a lot of guys that's 10 yards past them but he has the ability to catch up to that one yep so and then real quick mike gusecki uh Eight catches, 89 yards, a great, great game for him. I mean, this is kind of the game we've wanted to see out of him. And, uh, you know, he played pretty well. And then Deshaun Hamilton, again, has been tremendous this year. He, with a touchdown catch this week, he tied his, uh, you know, career high for touchdown catches in the season with six. He's at 606 receiving yards. There's a good chance he breaks his personal best of 889. Just a guy who's been around forever, and everything he does, you're going to root for him, especially at this point in his career where he's just been such a such a good option for Penn State. And yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully he is he has one or two more big moments because I know he's basically on the verge of 
having every Penn State receiver record in his name or one way or another. So hopefully he's able to get there. Uh, John, any positives that you have to take away from this one? Uh, I think the positive is I still believe this team, you know, has some resiliency. I know these last two weeks you kind of, it's, you know, you feel a little down, but this is the same team when they got the ball back against Iowa. I, I felt like, hey, they're, they're going to score here. We got, you know, there, there's a good chance they can go down and score, and they did. Plus, you've got a schedule where, you know, as one of the older guys of Roar Lions, Roar, I, I, I was a student in 99. Actually, I graduated. All of my uh, roommates took the extra semester to get another football season in. But we, um, you know, we watched that Minnesota game, and then we watched a team crumble. And I don't think that this is this team. I mean, you know, that week after Minnesota in 99, they played Michigan, had the lead, and Brady let them back. And then the week after at Michigan State was one of the biggest, one of the most disappointing games I've ever watched. I think Michigan State had two runners go over 200 yards. Um, it was a team that had just given up. And I don't think that this is this team. And I think that was what was refreshing about what Franklin was saying afterwards. Like, you know, he's got to find a way to motivate these guys. And if he's going to, you know, do it, R- Rutgers is, is, is quite the remedy. Um, and, you know, you've got, <laughs> you've got a schedule where you've got some winnable games. I mean, Nebraska's ready to just, they're, they're, they've mailed it in. They are now, I was going to say, they are not ready to mail in anything, my friend. They mailed it in a while ago. Yeah, I mean they are. It's kind of like Michigan State last year. I, I, they, it's just too much. And now you've basically got a lame duck coach, and then you've got Maryland, who's on their like 14th quarterback. So you've got a chance to go out, win three games, hopefully a little more chaos. And you know, I'm not talking Big Ten championship or anything, but you know, there's still that chance to sneak back in there. You know, and then right now you're staring at the Citrus Bowl Outback Bowl. But, you know, with a little more confusion and, you know, just play your games, win, get to 10 wins. And though 10 wins is going to feel a little bit different than last year after the regular season, it, you know, there's still, it's still a young team. And granted, you're lose, you know, likely to lose a generational running back. And I think that's part of the reason this stings so much is, oh, we'll get yeah, to that. It felt like, you know, we had something special brewing here. But I, I think, like you said, this isn't like 99, where 2000, you came and the dark years began. I mean, this you've got a, a solid foundation with talent that, you know, they just haven't had. And I think that's something that it's easy to lose that perspective after two straight grueling losses. But I also think, unlike Michigan, who really exactly like Penn State last year, they lost a one-point game in Iowa and then lost a three-point game in Ohio State when their expectations, like, that was their year. And, you know, they've had a step back, but they lost, you know, Penn State is going to lose some great players, but Michigan lost just a ton. And I don't think that the drop back on either side of the ball is going to be as drastic as what their offense is going through now. But it, to me, there's a lot of parallels between those two. And, you know, you would think in years past, Penn State, oh, you know, you had that senior-laden team. It's going to take a few more years to go through it after they've made a run. That's not the case. They're still young, though they're going to be losing just 
players that are just so good. But now you've got a great recruiting base that, you know, it's there. It's still there. So, you know, I think that's the positive that there's not going to be this major setback, a three and nine Michigan State year or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm actually glad that you brought up Rutgers. I mean, we'll, of course, talk about them a little bit later uh, in the week. But no, like that's this is the perfect kind of team for Penn State to play this week because Rutgers, they're not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. I don't want anyone thinking I'm out here standing for Rutgers football, but they're a really tough football team. They're able to their ability to run the ball is actually pretty solid. I mean, they're not a bunch of world beaters or anything, but they're not bad at picking up yards when they need to. And then on the, I mean, they can't throw the ball to save their lives, but on the other side of the ball, Chris Ash has built up a pretty good defense there. So Penn State's going to have to work. And I'm glad that, I, I think there's part of me that, of course, I want Penn State to come out and win 500 to nothing. But there's also a part of me that wants them to get into a game where, you know, we're getting into the fourth quarter and, Penn State's only up like, you know, 21 to 13. Like, Rutgers is hanging in there, and Penn State has to dig deep and find that win. I think that's the kind of thing that helps them, and it goes a long way uh, going forward. Uh, we're actually going to, uh, a programming note, friends, we're going to skip the what stung more this or Ohio State one because we're going on uh, minute number 45 of this podcast, and also the answer is this one. But. Uh, let's really quickly, let's just talk about where the program, where the team goes from here. I don't want to talk about where the program goes from here. Uh, I'll let Matt touch on that in a second because this is something that he and I have talked about and we both think that kind of the days of Penn State basketball being, uh, not Penn State basketball. Well, Penn State basketball is winning the NCAA tournament. Uh, Penn State football being the kind of team that, it's not great year, solid year. Hey, next year could be good, really good year. We both think that's gone, and we think Penn State's in a different position. But just this year, uh, you know, John, I know that you've uh, done a little bit of youth basketball coaching. So if you were to rile up Penn St- that locker room, what would you say? <laughs> yeah, we're we're talking about fourth and fifth graders, uh, but you know. I think what you have to say is, you know, you've still got a chance. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. Look at what's happened. All you can control is, you know, granted, this would have worked much better last week when you can control your, but to go 10 and 2, and you've still got Auburn playing Georgia this week. You've got teams that'll be ahead of Penn State when the rankings come out tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Then you've, you know, you can kind of sneak back in there. And I think, like, what's the ceiling here? The, the Cotton Bowl? I mean, so I think you like just that. you play to win 10 games. I mean, that now is, I know, I know it's 1-0 every week, but anything less than 10-2 and two at this point is now going to be, you know, the anger that, you know, many fans feel right now will feel like joy if they lose one of these next three games. I mean... You've got if you can win ten games in a row with a program like this, it's though like I said, it felt it feels different. It's not the same, but that's how you build a foundation, and that's what they have to do. And you know, you just have to 
you have to take care of your the business in front of you. You can't worry about anything else. And I think that's what Franklin touched on is now you can only control what you can control. And it's winning three very winnable games. Yeah, I, there it is kind of crazy that uh, that we're kind of at a point where everyone's really upset about Penn State football, where this is going to be, barring something crazy happening, the third time since uh, the the third time since the nineteen nineties that Penn State has won back to back double digit games. Uh, you know, 1993, Penn State won 10, 94, Penn State won 12, uh, 2008, Penn State won 11, 2009, Penn State won 11. This year, it's going to be 11 and possibly 11, depending on the bowl matchup. But yeah, Penn State is going to be really, really good and be in a position where it's going to have a year that the program just doesn't really have anymore, these back-to-back double-digit wins. Uh, and yeah, it's still going to feel a little bit hollow. Uh, still going, people are still going to be upset. All these things, whatever. Uh, yeah, at this point, it's finish out the season uh, with a ten and two record in the regular season. They're still tenth in S and P plus. It's still a really great football team. But yeah, ten and two regular season. Hope you can get into a New Year's Six bowl or something. Send Saquon Barkley out with. Uh, you know, send him out on a bang, send Marcus Allen and Jason Cabinda and all those guys out on the highest note possible. And yeah, just do what you have to do these last couple of weeks and take the sour taste that you have in your mouth, get rid of it and move forward with your eyes on the rest of the season and maybe peeking ahead to 2018 a little bit, whenever the situation arises. Uh, Matt, I want to go to you. Where does Penn State go from here? But I also want you to do it from the bigger picture. Uh, there are a lot of fans who I think are mad because Penn State blew, blew the chance to compete for a national championship. That's not something that happens every year. Well, there are reasons to think that competing for a national championship is going to be a whole hell of a lot more frequent now than it had been really since any time after, you know, the early 1990s or the 1980s or anything like that. Real quick, I think the the idea that Penn State's, and we're arguing semantics here a little bit, I think, with what I'm going to say, but the idea that Penn State not competing for a national championship this year is, while factually correct at this moment in time, I think takes ignores the bigger picture where um, because of the way the schedule laid out, yes, they, they were quote unquote eliminated in early November, but they also were, and, and will be talked about for the rest of the year. If they take care of their business in the next three games as, um, as a team that, that was right there, they're going to be, if they went out four points away from, from playing for a national championship, um, assuming they were, they would have taken care of business in the big 10 championship game. So I think that the, the idea that because they, they lost the back to back games that they are, they are the program did not compete for a national championship this year is both right and, and, and wrong. I think in, in the, the small picture versus the big, the bigger picture. Um, but as far as going forward and you kind of alluded to it in your, your setup here, Bill is, 
that we've become conditioned as Penn State fans um, over the last really 25 to 30 years, depending on how far back you want to go, that these kind of runs for conference championships and playoff berths and, and big things happens every four-ish years. Um, we saw it in 2005. We saw it in 2008. Um, you can guess, kind of argue that we saw the beginnings of it in 2011, but that team was um, you know, getting by with smokes and mirrors before, before what happened in November. But like you said, Bill, this team has won back-to-back double-digit games twice in the Big Ten era. Um, and that's, to put that in perspective, Ohio State is going this year for their sixth straight 11-plus win season. And yes, I know with playoff games and bowl in uh, conference championships and whatnot that there's more chances to win games, but that kind of puts it in perspective for me how far behind Penn State as a program had fallen um, in the last 15 years, 20 years, you know, whatever, whatever time frame you want to look at it. Um, Penn State has not been the consistently nationally relevant at the, at the elite level football program for a long time. And I think because we see it every year, year in, year out with Ohio State right in the conference, um, we see it with, with Alabama, a team that historically has been um, one that Penn State's compared itself to um, on, on the program level because they've done it you know, year after year after year with Saban, that we kind of lost, lost sight of kind of where the program has been for a long time and the, the lack or the inability, I guess, really to turn it around like that. You're not going to turn it around. It's not a, not a light switch here. We're not going to turn it on all of a sudden. And because of kind of the world we live in now, not to get too philosophical, I guess, but, you know, we get everything right away. We get, you know, 24 seven news. We get everything right away on Twitter and instant text messaging and everything like that, that we get a lot of things really quickly and combine that with where most Penn State fans see their program in the the national conversation, why aren't we there yet? And I think when you factor in the situation that James Franklin inherited from a scholarship count um, uh, place and the division that he's recruiting in in the Big Ten and competing against year in and year out, um, to go from three straight seven-win seasons um, from 2013 to 2015 to 11 wins, a Big Ten championship, and a Rose Bowl berth last year to potentially another 11-win season this year if they win the next three games and and whatever postseason game they play. That's unbelievable. (laughs) I don't want to get too too optimistic and too lose sight of of the missed opportunity this year because it's a missed opportunity regardless of how you want to look at it. But Penn State has gone from sanctions that, yes, were rolled back earlier than they were anticipated, that were designed by all, for all intents and purposes to cripple the program for 10 years, 15 years, maybe forever, you know, turn them into an eight and four is best case scenario program to where they are now is, is pretty remarkable. Um, and it doesn't make the last two weeks hurt any less. Um, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't apologize for having expectations that 
Penn State was going to go 12 and 0 and win the Big 10 again and play, you know, Alabama in the national championship game. Um, that's those are the expectations that Penn State should have and they weren't unrealistic this year. But because they lost two games by four points on the road to um, an Ohio State team that's very good, regardless of what happened in Iowa. Um, I, if anything, that underscores how how weird college football is. That a team as talented as Ohio State that played a damn near perfect game on offense against Penn State a week ago went to Iowa City and just flat out laid an egg. Um, I think we the, the results matter, but Ohio State's still a very good team. Michigan State's a very good team. Both of those games on the road, and and it's almost losing the way they did hurt makes it hurt more. But as John said, the recruiting classes both coming in this coming year, and that Franklin has brought in the last um, two or three years, especially um, the the best days for this program are are still ahead of it. And I think we're getting back to that point where a lot of um, a lot of older Penn State fans, um, you know, myself included, to some degree. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid 30s, but um, I I know enough about the history of Penn State to know that where Penn State is going and the expectations that are here now are what we we should expect as Penn State fans, quite frankly. And I think that because of the work that's been done to build this program the right way for to sustain itself. Um, it's, it's not going anywhere and I'm not saying they're going to, you know, win the big 10 and go to the playoff next year or in 2019 or in 2020, but they're going to have opportunities to do that. If they stay healthy, if players continue to continue to develop, um, if they continue to recruit the way they have, um, and there's no reason to think that those things are I mean, injuries. You can only do so much, but the progress that we've seen through almost four seasons now, um, with James Franklin and, and this entire staff doesn't make me any less optimistic about what we're going to see in the next few years. And I, I do want to stress one thing. Like, if you are mad about the loss, that is okay. I mean, there have been a lot of people, and I know Matt's not doing that here. There have been a lot of people who have been saying things like, well, Penn State should still be... Uh, trying to recover from sanctions, so be happy. Which, like, no, like, if you want to be upset, be upset, but also remember that it could be a whole hell of a lot worse this year. Uh, and, you know, the fact that Penn State and James Franklin has gotten to a point of national prominence this quickly really is something that's very impressive. And I think uh, if you ask people around college football, they'll say that same thing. Penn State should not be in the position it is in right now, but it's... Still very unfortunate and very, uh, not very maddening, but really disheartening to see that. And the thing that I keep coming back to was that the season came back for them. The opportunity to play for a chance to make it to Indianapolis uh, came back for them. Uh, And there's still like a very bizarre scenario in which every team loses out. Or like Penn State wins out, Ohio State... uh, beats Michigan State but loses to Michigan and Michigan runs the table where like there's a four-way tie atop the division and I think Penn State makes it to Indianapolis then or something weird like that but who cares it's it it's (laughs) I mean I think we need Michigan State to win and then lose to both Rutgers and Maryland which I'm on board for that yeah so 
yeah, I want to say one more thing real quickly here, Bill, that I, I kind of um, had in my notes to mention, but um, and I, I'm going to give credit to friend of the blog at Speedo Mike on Twitter for the, for this one, but this idea that that Saquon Barkley, you know, who we all should agree is the best running back in the history of the program and, and one of those generational talents that um, you, you just don't get every year in a recruiting class. There I mean, isn't one in every I, recruiting class. I haven't watched Penn State nearly as long as the two of you have, but I find it very hard aside from like LeVar Arrington and maybe Kijana Carter, although I will argue that, you know, what Saquon Barkley is doing behind a much uh, you know, the 94 offensive line and those offensive lines were all-time great lines, and the ones Saquon has now aren't necessarily that, and he's also much more of a factor in the receiving game. I would argue that he is probably, uh, y- you know, his legacy might be better than Kijana's, uh, but I'll rely on you guys for that. But I have a very hard time imagining that there have been too many players here, if any, who we can definitively say are better than Saquon Barkley. And that's... I. No argument here. But but what I wanted to say was that, yes, Penn State's not reaching that ultimate goal of a playoff berth and, and playing for national championship this year, unless things get really stupid in the next three weeks, which, God, I hope it does, because that would be fantastically amazing to watch. But without Saquon Barkley, Penn State is not as well positioned for 2018, 2019, 2020, and down the road as they are right now. Without him last year, that's probably an eight and four team. Without him this year, it's probably an eight and four, nine and three kind of team. Even with all the other great talent around him, and because of the the impact he's had on on not only the bottom line record but the offense as a whole, has made Penn State a a destination for high end talent and. Um, as we've talked about, and I beat to death both on Twitter and the site and on when I'm on the podcast, recruiting matters and stars matter. And Saquon Barkley is as responsible for the influx of talent to this program in the two classes since he's been on campus, the one that will arrive in February and the ones that will arrive um, because this program is going to be, you know, at the top of the big 10 and, and around the top of the, the, the polls nationally for a long time, I feel um, and that's, that's, that's his legacy is, is where this program is, is when he leaves, assuming he, he does what we all expect him to do and declare for the NFL draft in, in January. Um, but I, I hope that, that his impact isn't lessened because they didn't reach that the top of the mountain this year. Um, they won a big 10 with championship with him last year. I think that's, that's massive. And um, they're going to hopefully win 10 games or 11 games again this year, um, doing he- beyond large part due to him. Um, and I, I, I don't think that will get lost, but I, you know, I've seen you know the, the comments. You know, you know, can't believe we're we're wasting a, a player like him. And I don't. I, I, I certainly understand the argument, but I think it. And and maybe I'm too big picture here, but I think it it diminishes the overall impact that he's mm-hmm. he's had on the program going forward. I mean, like, he's being quote-unquote wasted in that he's barring something completely ludicrous happening, never going to play for a national title. But, like, like Josh Rosen is a generational talent at USC, and he's never going to play for a national title. And Sam Darnold is a generational talent at 
no, Josh Rosen's at UCLA. Sorry about that. Sam Darnold's a generational talent at USC. He's never going to get a chance to play for the Rose Bowl. Like, outstanding football players don't always get the chance to play for national titles. Like, I, I don't think there are any LSU fans right now, like, sobbing over the fact that Arden Key is never going to get a chance to play for a national title or USC fans or USC being South Carolina fans with uh, Jadevian Clowney when he was there like it's an, an unfortunate thing only prior to three years ago only two teams got a chance to play for a national title now four teams do there are 129 or 131 or whatever it is teams in FBS so it's unfortunate yet yeah, Saquon's never going to get that opportunity but I think back to what that doofus Matt Miller tweeted after the uh, Penn State pit game where he said, if I'm a high school skill position player, I'm not committing to Penn State until James Franklin is gone. Which, one, the fact that he tweeted that after a game in which Penn State scored 39 points is absurd. Neither here nor there. But as early, as recently as a year ago, there was a thought that Penn State was never going to be able to, to produce skill position talent. And... You know, thanks to Joe Moorhead uh, for what he's able to do with designing an offense that takes advantage of your skill position players and whatnot. And thanks to James Franklin for hiring Joe Moorhead. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what the players are able to do. And what we've seen out of Saquon Barkley these past couple of years has been just been otherworldly. And he has at least three more games in his uh, collegiate career ahead of him. I hope he's able to make the best of them. And I have no doubt in my mind that he will because he's just that kind of special player uh yeah so i think that's it for this edition of the podcast unless the two of you have anything you want to add i i'm gonna stop talking because i'll go on for 10 more minutes <laughs> john anything for now you? i would just add uh cool. you know a friend of mine who who got me into penn state you know eons ago before this season said hey you know we're back to losses hurting we're done celebrating 20 to 16 victories against army. Like this is what we wanted, but it's much easier for us to say that in August than actually live it. But, you know, being, you know, older and having those seasons where, you know, you, you feel that pain. They like, you know, they ruin your fall. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, it's, we had a chance, you know, it's now, now you're like, Hey, 2018, how, how are we going to be? This is kind of what we all wanted. Like when the sanctions hit, you thought we may never experience this for a long time. And we've touched on that a bunch. But, you know, those expectations when they're there, it, it's great to be a part of this. And like, I think in the moment, it's very easy to lose perspective of that, especially when you lose games like this. When you think, oh, we wasted talent, this and that. I mean, Plenty of schools have wasted plenty of talent, and it, it, to say they've wasted it is is really just like an insult. You just it's it's college football, but you're there. You and then you know all, all we ever wanted was to be back. Those seven and six years were were just grueling. It was nice to be above five hundred throughout the sanctions, but you know I mean think of some of those games we watched, like twenty fifteen. I mean, if you would ever watch that Maryland game now, like, if, if you ever need a nap, that that's a game to turn on. <laughs> it, it just, we've, con you know, it's it's very, very frustrating this week. And, you know, I, I'm upset, you know, but I, I'm older, so I can get over it a little bit quicker. But 
you know, these are the things you kind of want your program to be at. And when you're there, it, it stings. I mean, heck, look at Alabama. I mean, how many tough, you know, they, their national championship are bust. And, you know, they've, that Clemson game, they, it, it, I mean, just a terrible, they're like, oh, we blew, you know, we had a great team, but, you know, we're not quite there, but we're trending that way. And I mean, now, you know, that's, that's quite the, the leap to go from where we're at now to, to there. But what, what I mean is like, you know, you've wanted the expectations, you've wanted to be good. They were in the national championship conversation for the majority of the season and it's gone. And like we've kind of touched on, it's a missed opportunity. And that's something I've been kind of writing today, just blabbering. And, but you know, these are, this is kind of which, you know, the best case scenario was to be a part of it. But then once you're out of it, it's, it's a hollow feeling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> if we're back in the top 10 before next year, you know, it's okay, let's go, let's see what happens. And, you know, the fact of, eight and four, hey, maybe you finish above 500. Those days are, are gone. And granted, there might be some tough ones along the way here, but I think there's some perspective of, you know, being back in that, that as an older, <laughs> an older fan and going through dark years and really for a long time, it's, it's fun to be back, but that doesn't make these last two weeks any, any less torture. Yeah. And the, Penn State is four points away from being the number probably three or four team in the country right now. And yeah, it hurts. And yeah, it's something that I've spent far too much time over the last couple of days just like kicking around in my head. Uh, But I also think back when I I, I was thinking about this loss and I was trying to put it in some amount of uh, just context for myself, and I promise I'll do the sign off after this. And I swear to God, if you're still listening at the 109 mark of this, God bless you. But as I was thinking on this loss, I thought back to uh, 2015 when Ohio State lost to Michigan State in Columbus. It was like 14 to 10. It was in a very similar circumstance to this one. Just a gross, disgusting game. Played in the, you know, played in a really sloppy field, playing in the rain. Uh, I think Michigan State kicked a field goal to win it at the death. Uh, the the big complaint that a lot of Ohio State fans had was they did not give the ball to their generationally talented running back enough. Like just all these things coming back as kind of just a similar loss in terms of the response and whatnot to this one and. What stuck with me after Ohio State lost that game was that everyone wasn't going, you know, hey, tomorrow will be, you know, just have to dust ourselves off and win the next one. Everyone in Columbus was devastated because that is the culture and that is the expectation that has been built there. Every loss is you losing an opportunity to do something. Every loss is a big deal and potentially the end of the world and all these things. And yeah, there's some, there's some massive issues with adult human beings uh, going into work on Monday in a sour mood because a bunch of 18 to 23 year olds weren't able to win a sporting event. But that's also the culture that 
Penn State wants to have here. It wants to have a culture where every win is one step closer towards the national title and not towards a national title, towards a conference title, and not, oh, hey, look, we won this week. Hopefully we're able to do it next week, and hopefully we're able to finish better than 7-6 and six or 8-4 and four or whatever this year. What a lot of Penn State fans are feeling right now, I think, is what fans of elite programs are feeling. And I think it's a testament to a lot of different things that Penn State is building that culture and having that reputation. And I think that the days of us hoping to get to that point and us being at that point are not too terribly far away. And I think it's something that's going to come in the not too distant future. Uh, so yeah, now that that's all over, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, keep reading and supporting the site. Keep buying the shirts. Follow us on our social media feeds. Subscribe on all the podcast platforms we have. Uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Leave some nice words. Uh, don't leave mean words. We're very sensitive like that. Uh, and yeah, one last time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For John Morgan, for Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. <laughs>